0: Today, I believe the truth will set us free. The truth can set you free no matter how trapped you feel, how locked up you feel, how much in bondage you are. Father God, I pray that your word would speak to us today. We thank you for the words of Jesus. We pray that we would have the courage to listen and respond. In a world where truth is... Relevant truth is what we make it. I pray we'll have the courage to trust you this morning and your truth. Give me the words to speak, the strength to speak, the courage to speak, and bless us with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We began a sermon series now. This is our third week preaching on our core values here at Mount Horeb, what we believe to be. guides for us, what uh, directs us, where our strategies come from, where our vision comes from. My first sermon was, Jesus first, Jesus always, that everything we do at this church is about Jesus, and it will always be about Jesus. Nick preached a great message on what you prayed a few minutes ago. Father, your your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the core value is on earth as it is heaven. Trevor's over in the uh, sanctuary, was here last weekend preaching on going above and beyond. Above and beyond to reach the last one. We had seven core values. And certainly I believe that truth was implied in all of our core values. They are all vetted with Scripture. But the Lord convicted me that we needed to add an eighth core value, and this, this is what I'm preaching on today. And the eighth core value, which we believed needed to be stated clearly as truth is essential. Truth is essential. Not just implied truth, but truth is essential. Here's the definition that we came up with this core value. We believe in truth as revealed in Holy Scripture. The Bible is God's infallible word for authority, guidance, and provides light for our lives. Last weekend when I preached this message in the sanctuary a week ago, Friday, John Gorsuch died unexpectedly. John is a former Gamecock basketball player, but also John taught two Sunday school classes in our church. And on Friday mornings, he would come early at 530 before our men's prayer breakfast and lead a small group of men there. And for John, truth was essential. I celebrated in his funeral this past week that he was always prepared with truth. He studied, he looked to God's word. And, you know, when he got started several years ago, he, he wasn't confident that he could be a Sunday school teacher. But I shared with him just stand on the truth, talk about Jesus, and everything will be fine. He took that very, very seriously and very, very literal. And he became a great teacher. And so last Sunday, I dedicated my sermon to John Gorsese, and today I dedicate it to him and his family. John believed that truth is essential, and so do I. I know that we're in a struggle today in our culture and our world about, about truth. There are many definitions of truth, and I want you to know that you're not alone in that struggle. Many great men and women of God have struggled with the definition of truth and one of my greatest spiritual heroes in Dr. Billy Graham struggled with truth. Maybe you don't know that, but in 1949, unaware that he was about to become an evangelist who would have a worldwide impact, a worldwide influence, he was just before the breakthrough crusade in Los Angeles, and Billy Graham found himself in a spiritual struggle, not over the existence of God or the divinity of Jesus, but over the fundamental issue, whether or not he could trust the Bible as the word of God. Dr. Graham was being pulled in two different directions. One by Henrietta Mears, who was a bright, compassionate Christian educator, who had a thorough understanding of modern biblical scholarship and an abounding confidence in the re- reliability of scripture. On the other side was Graham's closest friend, his preaching colleague, 33 year old Charles Templeton. And Charles Templeton said this to Billy Graham Billy, you're 50 years out of date. Now, maybe you're a Christian today and you've heard people say that to you. You're 50 years out of date. Templeton said to Graham, People no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way you do. Your faith is too simple. Maybe you've heard that. Your faith is just too simple. Now, Graham said he wasn't exactly doubtful, but he was definitely disturbed, and he knew that if he could not trust the Bible, that he could not preach the good news of the gospel. And the Los Angeles crusade was hanging in the balance. Graham searched the Scriptures for answers. He prayed, he pondered, and he was wandering, walking through the San Bernardino Mountains, carrying his Bible, and he dropped to his knees, and he confessed that he could not answer some of the philosophical some of the psychological questions that Templeton had been raising about the Bible. He writes that, I, I went to my knees and, and I asked for the Holy Spirit to free me. And he prayed this prayer, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith, by faith, by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions, beyond my doubts, And I believe this to be your inspired word. Now, maybe you're in the same place today. A lot of questions about this book, the Bible. Perhaps today you'll be led to pray, Father, I have some questions, I have some doubts, but I trust by faith this is your word. Graham said, rising rising from his knees, tears in his eyes, he felt a power of God come over him like he'd never felt before. And he said, in my mind, in my heart, I knew a spiritual battle had been won for my soul. That Los Angeles crusade lasted for two months. 350,000 people attended 72 services. 3,000 people made a first-time commitment to Jesus. 3,000 more recommitted their life to Jesus. And Dr. Graham went on to preach the good news of the gospel to nearly 215 million people. Why? Because he, by faith, accepted this as the Word of God. If you listen to Billy Graham's sermons, and I go back and read them from time to time as an inspiration, they are so simple. They are not very profound, but they are grounded in the gospel. They are grounded in the teachings of Jesus. In fact, I was in, uh, at the Cove in the Billy Graham Center uh, back in May, and there in the basement of the chapel, there is the Billy Graham pulpit, that the traveling pulpit that he preached from at Crusades, and in a glass case uh, are some of his notes <laughs> there in the case. And I remember standing there looking over his notes and marveling at how simple the message was, but anointed by the Holy Spirit, Charles Templeton, the skeptic, returned to Canada to be a novelist and an atheist, and never could reconcile that the Bible was the Word of God that you could trust. So we find ourselves in this battle over truth with our culture, with our world, even within the church. What is true? What is the source of truth? And I tell you here at Mount Horeb, we believe that truth is essential in the battle for souls, in the battle for our very souls. We declared a couple weeks ago when truth, uh, uh, that Jesus first, Jesus always, that, that the creation, the work of God reveals truth. I love Psalm 19. It says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they, day after day, they continue to speak Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without sound a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth, their words to all the world. No question, truth has been revealed in the works of God. I was blessed as uh, Kathy Jameson prayed over me a few minutes ago when she took us through the seasons, how the seasons reveal the timing of God, the truth of God. And certainly the works of God reveal the truth of God. But I would say to you this morning, truth is revealed by the Word of God and not by the world. It's revealed by the Word of God and not by the world. Psalm 19 goes on to say, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, Giving insight for living, reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. So we look to the Word of God as our source of truth. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, Jesus the Word And then in chapter 1, verse 14, these great words, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So a key core value for us is the Word of God is our source of truth. Or as Billy Graham would say, the Scriptures, (laughs) are the source of truth. Can you hear him saying that? The Scriptures are the source of truth. Yet we live in this postmodern world or even a post-Christian world, a world that believes in relative truth. What is relative truth? It's truth that's dependent upon something else or someone else. It's truth that we create. And in the postmodern world, there are many sources of truth, religion, religion, Science, opinion, feelings. And there's nothing wrong with science. I wouldn't be standing up here today. You wouldn't be hearing me on live stream. Uh, we couldn't do the amazing things we do. At, uh, I get, Lynn and I get on a plane at 4 o'clock. Uh, not wasting any time. <laughs> but I'm appreciative of science. I, trust me, I'm, I'm excited that that plane is going to fly. Uh, but nothing wrong with science. Nothing wrong with opinions and we all got one, right? Nothing wrong with feelings. I, I love my feelings. I'm feeling good today. <laughs> feelings is good are good, but feelings and science and religion and opinion, they evolve, they change. They're come sometimes unstable, and people today believe that if it's true for you, it must be true. You've heard that, right? If it's true for you, it's true for me, and many truths are based on an appetite, The new norm is if you believe something is right, it becomes a right. You claim it, and it's truth for you. Now, relative truth believes that the Bible is a truth, but it's just one of many truths. And you get to pick which one you want to follow. Now, here's a scary thought. Three out of four Americans say there is no such thing as absolute or ultimate truth. Is there any wonder that our world is in the shape it's in? Our culture is struggling. Did you know that the 2016 Word of the Year by Oxford Dictionaries is this word, post-truth? Post-truth was the 2016 Word of the Year. And in the magazine The Economist, describing the post-truth world as one where truth is of secondary importance and lies and rumors and gossip spread with alarming speed. We are a culture that has lost our sense of right and wrong. We've lost our sense of absolute truth. Let me give you an example. I love chocolate. Anybody relate to that? I love chocolate, and I could have a diet of chocolate. I've even tried to convince myself that dark chocolate is good for me. Anybody done that? Yeah, dark chocolate, that's good for you. I got a whole stash of dark chocolate, right? But the truth is, according to my doctor, all that sugar is not good for me. And as a manufacturer of kidney stones, dark chocolate is not good for me. No matter how I feel about it, no matter what I think about it, I actually take a, a, a pill of potassium saturate to help me when I don't do good on chocolate. <laughs> because a data chocolate is bad for me. And I'm thankful that I got a good doctor that told me the truth. And he said, if you don't stop eating so much chocolate and drinking so much dark cola, you're going to have kidney disease. And those two words got my attention when he spoke the truth to me. I listened. See, I believe the Bible is a source of absolute truth that speaks to us, that confronts us with what's wrong in our lives and corrects, and affirms what is right. At Mount Hor, we believe truth is absolute. Absolute truth, what is that definition? Absolute truth is not dependent upon anything else. that we believe absolute truth is founded in God's word, the scriptures. And this scripture, his truth, doesn't change. Now, I would say that we're changing, I hope we're changing. Hope we're growing in the faith, becoming mature as Christians. And our understanding of truth will change, but truth will not change. And Scripture it needs to be our lens for reality. Scripture is how I view the world. It's how I live in the world. And Martin read for you 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, read it with me. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, the challenge is we don't want to be corrected when we're wrong. We don't want to believe the truth about our lives. The founder of this Methodist movement, John Wesley, was a great reader, a prolific writer. And John Wesley was clear, though, that there was one book that was primary for him, He was a man of one book, and that was the Bible. He learned and lived what Billy Graham learned in 1949 on his knees in the San Bernardino Mountains. Now, as Methodists, we like to talk about something called the Wesley Quadrilateral. Albert Outler, a professor, seminary, came up with this idea, and later he said he regretted even coming up with this idea. But the definition is Wesley believed that the living core of the Christian faith was revealed in Scripture. Revealed in Scripture, illumined by tradition, veified in personal experience, and confirmed by reason. So we believe in Scripture, and I believe in in keeping step with uh, John Wesley, in keeping step with the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16, that Scripture is primary. Scripture is primary. And I interpret how I view tradition and experience and reason through the lens of Scripture. Tradition is a great thing. 2,000 years of Scripture, I mean, of of tradition is good. We believe in tradition. We don't want to throw it out with with history. We can learn from tradition. Experience is good. I mean, experiences are wonderful. Reason is great. Again, reason is fantastic. But the challenge in our world today is that we have elevated Reason and experience to the same level as Scripture. And if my experience doesn't jive with Scripture, then I go with my feelings. I go with my experience. And that puts us on a very slippery slope because truth is no longer absolute, it becomes relative to what I think it is. So we believe that Scripture is a core value. It's revealed by the word of God, not the world. And the next thing I would say to you that is truth is revealed in a person, not a principle. In John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the word that became flesh, God incarnate, truth revealed in Jesus. And make no mistake, Jesus was clear in what he said. He didn't say, I prefer the truth. He didn't say, I point you to the truth. He didn't say, I am a prophet of the truth. He said, I am the truth. I am the truth. Not one of many truths, not one of many ways, but I am the truth. He doesn't give us an option to debate that. And as Christians who follow Jesus, we believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we invite people to meet this Jesus doesn't mean we condemn anyone who doesn't agree with us, but we love them. But we don't compromise what we believe so they'll feel good about themselves. We simply love them enough to share with them the truth of the gospel. That's why we're called Christian disciples of Jesus. Jesus went on to say in John 8, 31, Jesus said to the people who believed him, say it with me, you are truly my disciples if you... Remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. What does real freedom look like? You know, sometimes we think freedom is the ability to do whatever we want to do. That's freedom. I get to do whatever I want to do. Let me give you the definition of biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is the ability to function the way God designed you to function. It's to live the life that God made you to live. It's to live into who God made you to be. You've heard the statement that freedom is never free. I shared with you before my story that at the age of 14, I became a believer in Jesus. For the first time in my life at the age of 14, I became free from guilt of things that I'd done wrong in my life. I no longer feared death. I got freed, and I could go to sleep at night not worrying about what would happen to me if I died. I knew that my salvation was secure in Jesus, that he'd give me the gift of eternal life. I was 14. I was beginning to learn what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Now, that meant I I, I adopted some constraints in my life. There were some things that I needed to stop doing that I had been doing, and there were some things that I needed to start doing that I had not been doing. My sister, Yvonne, is a year older than me. So at 15... She wanted to be free and she ran away from home to be free. I became a Christian, accepted Jesus into my life, and found spiritual freedom with some constraints. She was totally free in her mind. Shortly after that, she became pregnant, became a mom, and ended up having the child taken from her by the courts. She became drug addicted had a second child, same story, and today still is a drug-addicted woman searching for real freedom. And she found a prison, a bondage to addiction and lifestyles of struggles and problems. And I say to that, that freedom is never really free. As believers in Jesus, we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him, and discover who He's made us to be. i never forget when Lynn and I were first married, and uh, Kathy shared, or I think, oh, uh, she said this, or not Kathy, but we shared in a letter with you that Lynn and I are coming back. Uh, we'll be back uh, at Christmas Eve, and uh, but before we get back on December the 18th, we'll celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary, and we're excited about that, and uh, then we'll come back. Right. It's a little risky, right? A little risky to do this because we've never had three months totally together. So we hope we get to the 40th anniversary. But uh, with that said, we were married uh, in December, went back from my last semester of college in Kentucky. It was cold, snowy, 10 degrees, 10 inches of snow on the ground. My wife was not a happy camper in the single wide trailer we were living in, right? And she was wanting to go back home at times. I understood that a little bit. And i never forget, I made the mistake one day, after class, I decided, hey, I need to go play some basketball. That's what you do in Kentucky, right? Two and a half hours later, I went home, and this is before cell phones and before beepers, and my wife was not a happy camper. You know, I had to pry the door open because it was frozen shut. <laughs> And she explained to me real quickly that that wasn't going to happen again, right? (laughs) That while you may be free, you're not free. (laughs) And she was right, you know, because 40 years of marriage soon to be have been an incredible, incredible journey of love and commitment, wonderful blessings Lynn and I have together. But there are also decisions we make to not do things and to start doing things because that's what freedom is. It's a freedom to love someone unconditionally, but also know that there are things I need to do. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Can I get a second to that, husbands? Not everything is good for you. Wives, not everything is good for you. Christian, young person, not everything is good for you. When you go to that party, not everything is good for you. When you go to that tailgate experience, not everything is good for you. When you hang out with your friends, not everything is good for you. There are some things you need to say, that's not good for me. It's not good for my witness. The truth will set you free, but sometimes it'll make you miserable. Hear me. (laughs) It'll set you free, but it'll make you miserable sometimes because it'll confront what's wrong in your life. It'll confront what you need to work on. It'll challenge you. It'll convict you. It'll change you, and that's not always easy. I love the work that Susan and Scotty are doing through the Courage Center. And they're exposing darkness with light. And light is another word for truth. And Jesus calls us to go into this world of darkness and be light. And that means that we got to speak the truth to people with grace and with love. I love what Susan said. You're only as sick as your secrets. There are people here today, and all of us in different places of our life have secrets. I love, remember the game you played when you were a child, hide and seek? And you would hide, and you would hide, and your heart would beat, and you would hope nobody would find out. And then when somebody gave the great ollie-ollie in free, you could run back to home base. You see, at the cross, Jesus gave the great ollie-ollie in free. And he said to us, if you confess your sins to me... Confess your mistakes to me, you can become free, and free at last, free at last. And then I would say to you that truth is revealed through relationship and not a religion. Jesus came full of grace and truth. You know, it's amazing that Jesus told people the truth without compromise, and yet people love to be around him. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I tell people the truth, they don't want to be around me. So what was it about Jesus that he could tell people the truth and the people loved to be around him? I think they knew that he loved them no matter what. And they knew that he had their best interests at heart. Sometimes when we speak the truth to people, they don't believe that we have their best interests at heart. And we come across as judgmental or we come across as harsh. And Jesus came across full of grace and truth. They're both essential, I believe, grace and truth. So how do you reach people with grace and truth? How do you follow Jesus' example? Because we have a world that is increasingly full of untruth, relative truth. How do you reach people? I want to give you four things, and I believe that, uh, real quickly, that I believe will qualify for us how to, how to share truth with grace. Number one is we got to listen to people's story. Jesus was great at listening to people's story. Even though they already knew their story, he let them tell their story. We need to listen to people's story. And, and, and Jesus asked great questions. <laughs> he asked great questions. And when we ask great questions, people think and believe that we care about them. We don't condemn them. We don't chastise them. We ask good questions. Now, that's hard for me to do. But sometimes I'm quick to judge, and I'm quick to speak, I need to be slow to listen and ask good questions. People know you care about them when you ask good questions. We care about them as individuals. We care about them as individuals, and this is a hard one for me today. We try to understand their world. I don't understand the world we live in very much sometimes. I just I don't get it sometimes. Over the last two or three weeks, I've been listening to YouTube videos of college students who don't believe in truth, being interviewed by different people, what they believe about this. I don't get it. But I've got to get it. I've got to understand it if I'm going to impact people who don't believe in truth. And me yelling at them, shouting at them is not going to accomplish that. So we got to understand the world. And, and didn't God do that? For God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world, not to be of the world, but to be in the world, to demonstrate the love of God. We've got to be willing to go into the world with the love of God and demonstrate the love of God to people who don't believe in any truth. You know, it's one thing to shout at them from the corner of the church, like, hey, you all going finish the statement. Or to love them into the kingdom by sharing them truth and grace. And then please, please, please offer them Jesus. Offer them Jesus. Every interview, almost every interview I listen to and in conversations I've had with people is they want an experience with something. They want to experience, experience something. They're missing something in their life. They're searching for something. And I would say introduce them to the one who is a creator of the universe. Introduce them to the one who can change their life. Just tell them about Jesus. I think I shared with you the wonderful book I got at the National Prayer Breakfast that they gave to 145 world leaders and three or 4,000 uh, participants, a simple book called Jesus. It was the four Gospels without verses, without chapters, just the four Gospels. And the book of Acts was called The Acts of the Ambassadors, and it was just a book about Jesus. Based on John 12, you lift up me, he says, and I'll draw all people to myself. Just tell people about Jesus. Just talk to them about Jesus. And then don't invite them into a religion about God, but a real relationship with God. People don't want another religion. They want a relationship. And you've got to demonstrate that you have an authentic relationship with Jesus. And when you demonstrate you have an authentic relationship with Jesus, they'll want that. It may feel great to win a debate or prove a point, but Jesus didn't call us to win arguments. He called us to bring people into relationship, to share with them truth. So I'm going to give you three things, four things in closing, how we can make truth essential in our lives. That the Bible is the best source of truth, not the culture, not the world, not the latest craze, not the latest fad. Let me just tell you, it's important if you're going to be an impactful person for Jesus, you got to know the truth. you got to know the truth. Methodists sometimes are biblically illiterate people. We know about the Bible, but we don't know the Bible. you got to get into the Word of God. When you become committed to growing in the Word, know that truth has a power. You may have questions. You may have doubts. I'm sure we all do. But maybe you need to pray the prayer that Billy Graham prayed. Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. Give me the faith to believe your word, to go beyond my intellectual doubts, my intellectual questions, and believe this to be your inspired word. And secondly, you've got to trust the truth. you got to trust it. Trust it. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the hurricane came, it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. Number three, got to walk the truth. The biggest turnoff to the church is that Christians don't walk the talk. you got to walk the truth. Not be perfect in the truth, but just walk it. Walk it and demonstrate that you believe in the truth. Don't just talk about it. Walk it. And then share the truth. The world needs truth, the truth of God's Word. You know, we want to tell people that they're all right just the way they are. Bishop Will Williman, one of our Methodist bishops, said, Methodists think that God is nice, so we've got to be nice too. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth is uncomfortable. And too often we're more concerned about cultural acceptance and cultural credibility than we are about people. Let me say that again. Too often we're more concerned about cultural acceptance and cultural credibility than we are about people. See, I believe that God loves us the way we are, but loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Mount Horeb needs to be a city on a hill, a place where people's lives are being radically changed, radically changed by the grace of God. By the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Mount Horb's future is never about maintaining this ministry, but about mattering in ministry. It's about making a difference in people's lives because we're preaching and speaking and living the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. You know, Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador, Five years, 60, sixty years ago, he and five other missionaries were slaughtered by the Indians in Ecuador for sharing the truth, for sharing about Jesus. And Jim Elliot wrote these words before that encounter, before his death, descri- describing the dilemma that we find ourselves in today, describing that we are in a, a dilemma that we are battling a battle in a fight with principalities and powers. There is an evil presence in our world, and one of the strategies of evil is to water down the truth, is make the truth relevant to your situation. And he said this, we are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace, but we're harmless, we're harmless, therefore we're unharmed. We're spiritual pacifists, non militants, conscientious objectors to the battle to the death with principalities and powers. You see, Jesus Christ went to the cross, went to his death battling principalities and powers. But praise be to God on Easter morning, he defeated principalities and powers. In resurrection. And today he calls us to go to battle with him. Jim Elliott went on to say this, the world does not hate us because we are too much like the world. We are too much like the world. And it pains me that the church wants to be just like the world. Hey, if we'll be just like the world, the world will come to us. No, we're called to be like Jesus. And we lift up Jesus, the world will come to Jesus. He said in his writings before he died, Oh, that we would become dangerous. You see, John Wesley, a man of the Bible, became dangerous and changed his country and the world. I believe in the San Bernardino Mountains, Billy Graham became dangerous to principalities and powers. 215 million souls later, he's a marked man by the principalities and powers of this world. I want to be a marked man because I'm going to battle against principalities and powers of this world and standing for truth and standing for Jesus. Oh, that we would become more dangerous for the cause of Jesus. Amen? Gracious God, thank you for the truth. Thank you for Jesus. And we lift up his name above all other names, Jesus Christ. Father God, if there's anyone here who is locked away into sin because they wanted to be free, but what they chased didn't give them freedom, it gave them bondage. I pray that they would bring that sin to you and that bondage to you, and you would set them free. You would be a chain breaker today. And set them free. Lord God, give us courage to speak the truth in love, to speak the truth in grace. Help us to get into the words of Jesus. And Father God, fill us with your love. Fill us with your peace and fill us with your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.